Welcome to the Perspectives on Healthcare podcast, where members of the medical community from different roles, venues, and locations share their unique perspectives on quality healthcare, its future, and how to improve it. Now, from the Your Keynote Speaker Studio in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, here is your host, Rob Oliver. Thank you and welcome. I appreciate you being part of the Perspectives on Healthcare podcast family. Today's interview is with Jean Grover. She's from New York. This is episode 178. And for those of you that are tracking this, this is an interview from the Patient's Perspective Interview Marathon. It is interview number 60. And uh, this is... (laughs) One of the interesting interviews, because at this point, I've been literally going straight for uh, a number of hours without a break, and I had a little brain mix-up in this one. You should listen for it, because when I mentioned Billy Joel's song, We Didn't Start the Fire, I get a little tongue-tied in there, and um, I what I said is definitely not we didn't start the fire so listen for that and when you hear it i hope it makes you laugh and you should definitely let me know if you heard what i said in the meantime thank you for being with me and i hope that you enjoy this conversation with gene grover wonderful and welcome to the podcast hi Uh, how are you I'm doing fine. How are you holding up? I'm looking at your timer there. Are you, have you really been on the air for 16 I have hours? been on the air without a single break for 16 hours and 15 minutes. So, yeah. Um, the, the fact that I'm able to cons- to string together consecutive sentences is yeah. just, um, you know, it's all that I'm hoping for at this point. So Pretty impressive. <laughs> well, thank you. So yeah. um, we'll start with this. What is your name? My name is Jean Grover. I okay, didn't put my and last name on the screen, but that's okay. it's not that important. And where are you from, Jean? Rochester, New York. Wonderful. So, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your experiences in healthcare? Sure. Um, I have a disability. I uh, I am an American thalidomide survivor. There are not a lot of us, uh, but there are way, way more of us than anyone ever thought for many years. Um, I don't know if if anybody, if you are familiar with thalidomide, it was a a drug that was uh, in use in the late 50s, early 60s. Um, It was, uh, it started in Germany. It was used heavily in Europe. It was actually never approved for use in the United States by the FDA, but go, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, um, what was it used to treat or what was, what was it used for? It was uh, a sedative and it was a very effective, supposedly a very safe, extremely safe sedative. Um, It had an amazing uh, side effect that was discovered that it helped pregnant women it helped alleviate morning sickness for pregnant women and Mm. so yeah so um a lot of pregnant women were uh given the drug in the late 50s early 60s 
And um, the babies were born with missing bones, missing long bones in uh, upper and lower limbs. That was the main thing that was noticeable about the uh, birth defects that resulted from thalidomide, the mother ingesting thalidomide. Um, and so, um, you know, that I was born with that disability. So I think one of your next questions is, is what's your experience with healthcare, right? Wasn't that? Yes. Yep. So, I mean, my initial experience with healthcare, I'd say that was a very negative intro to healthcare. My, my birth, being born with a, a disability that affects my arms and legs. I have what's called bilateral focal milia. That's with my upper extremities. And then my lower extremities, I have what's called proximal femoral focal deficiency. So I'm basically missing long bones from both my arms and my legs. Um, so it's a complex situation. Uh, in my mother's case, she was... Uh, one of the individuals in the United States that was one that had received one of 1.2 million tablets that had been distributed prior to anticipated FDA approval, which never happened. So um, there are thalidomide survivors in the U.S. in spite of the fact that it was never approved by the FDA. Okay. So, so that's a long answer to your question. No, no, no. It's a long answer, but it is very educational and helps me to kind of contextualize everything. I'll be honest with you. I, I knew a little bit about it. And the most that I knew about it was from the, uh, we didn't fart, uh, we didn't start the fire song, yeah. you know, in which yeah. Billy Joel sings about the children of thalidomide and, um, sure. yep. So I think, uh, I think that's everyone's intro to, uh, to that phenomenon yep. was that song. Right. So have you met any healthcare heroes in your experiences? Yes. So I have four children and so I have four children. One is adopted and three are my biological children. And, and I had two pregnancies. So that's a riddle. How did that happen? Or, you know, how's, how's that for uh, four children and two pregnancies, but two, right. my, my first pregnancy was twins. Okay. okay so, um, I had to look for a doctor that would number one, take me as a patient, as an mm. OB GYN patient, um, you know, uh, expecting twins. I thought it was going to be hard. I was so, so fortunate to find an amazing person. Her name was Dr. Deborah Ribb. Um, she welcomed me as a regular patient and she didn't even label me as high risk. I thought maybe I would be a high risk pregnancy, but um, but not the case. Um, she, however, had a real challenge with her practice, the other individuals in her practice, uh, because they did not have any accessible um, tables. You know, the exam tables, they, there are tables that raise and lower, and I knew that they existed. And I kind of asked her, do you have any table that raises and lowers? Because I have to climb up on this table. I can do that while I'm, you know, one month pregnant. But by the time I'm eight months pregnant with twins, I don't know. I don't know right. how that's going to happen. And um, she recognized, of course, that was a problem. She petitioned her practice to see if they could 
add it to the budget, get it installed quickly. It wasn't going to happen. They were opposed to the expenditure. It was very expensive, I guess. So um, I, her accommodation was that she brought in an army cot for me. So I was examined on an army cot for months. And, and hey, you know what? I liked the doctor. I thought she was going to see me through a healthy pregnancy and she was going to treat me right. And she really listened to me. She brought the cot in herself. I think she went to, you know, a sporting goods place and bought it herself and brought it in. Yeah. So um, I give her a lot of credit for that, for the whole thing, for her attitude, for um, for her accommodation, even though it was an army cot. Um, And, um, you know, working uphill, you know, with a with a system that was not. Um, seeing the need to provide access for a disabled woman who was having twins. Okay. So. Um, what's her, what's the doctor's name? Deborah Rib. Dr. Okay. Deborah Rib. Yeah. Yep. You, you did say that before. I just wanted yeah. to make sure that we, um, that her name got mentioned and, you know, we recognize her for being the hero that she is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What is your definition of quality healthcare? Um, I liked what that other guy said was healthcare. Uh, however, I, you know, I was thinking about my own answers too. Um, sure. Quality healthcare is, um, with a practitioner who listens and who does their homework. Um, I have so, so often over the years, the many years, uh, been, the um, subject, been the educator in doctor's appointments. You know what I mean, I, I bet. Yeah, they've never seen anything like this before. They all want to poke and prod and, you know, squeeze my arms and whatever. You know, they want to check everything out and ask me a million questions. It's like, I am here for your medical expertise, you know. So I guess I I, I don't mind helping people understand, however, um, somebody who maybe has done a little homework ahead of time has, um, gotten over sure. the, the amazement factor enough so that they can provide me with quality medical advice, which I came there for instead of plying me with so many questions that would be right. quality. Okay. Um, what do you wish your medical providers understood about you? Um, that I am, um, busy, uh, that I, uh, have limited time. Uh, you know, I don't like to wait in a waiting room, um, any more than they do and any more than they would like me to keep them waiting. Um, and also, um, that I'm a person, you know, that I am, I have all these different facets that I, yes, I am, um, the physical presence, but I'm also, you know, I'm a mother. I, you know, I'm an employee. I'm, you know, I have all these other roles that I really need my body for those things too. So yeah, let's take the whole, whole picture there. Yeah. The waiting room is always such a subject of contention because, you know, sometimes if you show up too late for a doctor's appointment, they'll tell you, you know what, you just have to reschedule. And yet, um, if the doctor shows up at the same amount late, 
um, you should just be grateful that you that you got a chance to see him and you know uh, oh, heck yeah. <laughs> it's, that's right it's the way it goes sometimes mm-hmm. yeah um, true cool so what is one thing you what is one thing you think that medical professionals can start doing today to improve the quality of healthcare? Um, I would, uh, I think they can listen. I think they can become better listeners. People, the people skills, and that's a weird thing to have to say about people that work with people. You know, they're they're uh, examining bodies all day, but the people skills, the real and the real ability to listen, um, that would improve a whole lot. It, you know, you are you are not the first person to bring that up. As a matter of fact, it's I feel like it's been a theme. It, if someone mm-hmm. were to listen to this whole thing straight through, it would be like, these guys must have been listening to each other because that concept of listening. Really? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's been brought up repeatedly. And, yeah. and you're, you're right. I, because their diagnosis is based on your expressed symptoms. Mm-hmm. And as such, they need to listen to com- they need to listen completely to what you're saying in order mm-hmm. to make sure that they have all of the information to come up with a correct diagnosis. So you would think that listening is one of the essential elements. And and in that sometimes I, I feel like there's selective listening in which they're listening for, you know, the fact that. They're listening to hear, is it this thing? Is it that thing? Is it whatever? Um, Mm -hmm. And they're not truly, they're only paying attention to certain details. Does does that make sense to you at all? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Totally get it. Well, listen, Gene, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate your support in what we're doing. I appreciate Mm -hmm. your answers and your thoughtfulness. And um, listen, I respect you. And I appreciate your perspective on healthcare. Thanks for listening to Perspectives on Healthcare. Visit perspectivesonhealthcare.com to learn more about Rob Oliver or to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If this podcast was valuable, we'd appreciate a review on iTunes. Or if you tell a friend or coworker about the show, that would be helpful too. Join us again next time for more Perspectives on Healthcare.